what happened to thus saith the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of my God stands forever. Paul said this, that I might be chained, but the word of God is not chained. It gets unleashed and it gets unleashed with power. Oh, you may be a soil today that's hard-hearted. Maybe you're rocky ground. I don't know, maybe you're thorn infested, but I believe this today by the power of Jesus Christ that when you give your life to him today, he can make all things new. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you and we just lift up our minds and our hearts and our souls to you, God. In the days that we live in that are undeniably perilous, Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would move in power today. God, I pray that that you would stir, that you would encourage, that you would uplift, that you would challenge, that you would show us exactly where we reside in our relationship with you. God, I pray if there's someone here today that is really not all in, oh, Father, I plead with you, would you just move in such a way that that person would surrender everything to you today? So, God, as we open your word, we know that we need you just not on some levels, but God, we need you on every level. There is simply nothing that we can do apart from you. But God, we know this deep theological truth that with you, as you lead, as we follow, as you guide, as we submit joyfully to you, God, we know that all things are possible. So whatever baggage we've brought in the room today, wounds of the past, Relationship issues, perhaps a marital crisis, financial hurdles, bitterness, envy, selfishness, unforgiveness. Oh, Father, we just ask that you would hallow your name in us. That the kingdoms that we are so tempted to build would be utterly destroyed. The will of ourself that we so, with clenched fist often and heels dug in, want to pursue that, that our will would be gone. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, we just simply ask you to speak in this time. Move me out of the way so that we just hear from you. 
And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, looking at several verses, but focusing just on a few this morning. And as I was praying about what to open from the Word today, it was very clear that there's so many people whether outside a church or inside a church all over our country today that don't really understand their rescue. They don't truly understand what Christ did. And it's hard in the finite mind, if we're truthful, to grasp that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. For you parents in the room, try to figure this one out. But He gave, He willingly gave His only Son that that whosoever, whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's hard to wrap our minds around that truth, isn't it? Intellectually, we can believe it. Emotionally, we can understand it. But do we truthfully, with an act of the will, a total surrender, a saying, God, all I want is You. Like, I don't want anything else in this life. All I want is You. That we get to that point in life, and that's when life becomes joyful. That's when life becomes content. And so many people I'm afraid of have signed the card, and many, I believe, are having buyer's remorse. They don't really understand what they've signed up for. They don't get this and grasp this because the reason is that the heart has never truly been converted. There's still a blindness, there's still a a clogging of the spiritual ears. And here today, from the title of the message, it's very simple, because as we lead into celebrating our rescue, you can't celebrate something that you've never been rescued from. It's really hard to celebrate if you're on the losing team. And here in Mark, Jesus lays this out so beautifully as we ask the question, Which soil am I? Not are you in church, not are you a pastor, not are you a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, or you cut the grass or whatever you do. No, which soil are you? Think about this. At the end of the day, which soil you really are will dictate where you spend eternity. Jesus says here for the one who is truly His, He gives a great encouragement. And as Mark writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in chapter 4, this is entitled often the parable of the sower. I would retitle it the parable of the four soils. Also in Matthew 13 and Luke 8 it's described. But here it is, Mark Chapter 4, and as we read, ask yourself the question, which soil am I truthfully? 
Again, in verse 1 of 4, he says, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. Now, you've got to understand the context. If you go back to Mark chapter 3, Jesus is healing a bunch of people. And they're just like getting near him, and they're getting healed, and this is amazing. And so he's attracting a crowd. What's the text say? So that he got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea. That was kind of his pulpit. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now, this is interesting. So he's got a mega church following him, and it would have been easy to say, hey, what can I do to please you? What can I do to make you happy? How can I keep the crowd big? And Jesus goes, no, i got a better idea. I want to find out where your heart is. And so he says this, as he was teaching, then many things, Mark says in verse 2, in parables. Now, don't miss that. Hang on to that thought. In his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold. So in other words, urgent, urgent, warning, warning, listen up, listen up, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, number one. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, number two, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. Verse six, and when the sun arose, the hot sun, it was scorched. Very interesting. And since it had no root, it withered away. Just picture this. Other seed, number three, fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, number four, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, Jesus is speaking, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So think about this for a moment, so that he that has ears, let him hear. It's very, very critical that when Jesus says this, we understand these are spiritually discerning people that have ears, just not physical ears, but spiritual ears to hear. Now look at verse 10. Jesus explains the purpose of the parables. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, don't miss this, but for those outside, those who have not given their lives to Christ, everything is in parables. Now pause here for a moment. So the word parables, you have para and then bulls. So para very simply means this, to come alongside. So Jesus gives a parable, just not a cute story. He gives a parable that says, look, I am going to give an illustration of what comes alongside biblical truth. So he gives these parables. But for those outside, those who have not given their lives to Christ, everything is in parables. Did you catch that? This is in the Bible here. Let me read this again. But for those on the outside, those who have not given their lives to Christ, is what he's saying, everything is in parables. What? So that, verse 12, they may indeed see, but not perceive. May indeed hear, 
but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He's quoting from Isaiah 6. And you've got to remember this very simple truth that an unbeliever, whether they are on the hard soil, the rocky, or the thorny, they don't have a desire to truly hear and understand. They don't have a desire to see and perceive. There's the blindness spiritually, the hearing spiritually that is not there, and what happens, it's clogged. And Jesus is trying to explain this as He drills down even deeper, and now He says these glorious words. I love this. He says there in verse 13, and He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand what? Other parables. All the parables. The sower sows the Word, verse 14. 15, and these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. These are the ones also that are sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy. However, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown where? Among the thorns. They are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. Don't miss that. Here's the result. And choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. But, verse 20, but, but those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And may God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Amen. So as we launch into this, to unpack this together, you got to remember the people that day, they had an agricultural bent. So they would understand, at least to some degree, what Jesus is trying to explain here using this analogy. You know, verse 14, look in your Bible for a moment. It says this, the sower sows the Word. So you might ask, well, what is this seed? Who's the sower? Just think through that for a moment. We could argue Jesus. We could also argue that those who are proclaiming, teaching truth would be a true statement as well that there is a seed to be sown. And the seed here is the Word of God, but specifically it is all about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that will set people free. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that you can be set free. There is no other name, no other path, no other way that you can be set free, only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the sower sows. And what do you see here through this salvation message? Well, there's four soils. There's four responses to the gospel. And that's the question today is for me and for you, which soil are we? Which response are we truthfully? And it's important as we go into Resurrection Sunday to understand, are we truthfully able and willing to celebrate what we truthfully have? Have we really been rescued is the question. I love what Mark writes here by the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 15 when he says this, and these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, 
Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So you got to understand the way they farmed was different than the way we do. They didn't have, you know, tractors and plows and combines and the whole deal. They had a guy who was out there just scattering seed. And the way that he did it was very interesting. Typically, they would scatter the seed, and then they would till up the ground while the seed was on top of the ground. Sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? But there's a reason to what they did, and we're going to see this here in a moment in the rocky soil. But they scattered the seed. And here the sower is, the one, whether it be Christ, whether it be someone proclaiming truth, that is scattering the seed, the Word of God. Like right now, the Word of God is being preached. It's being heralded. It is being taught. It is being proclaimed in such a way that prayerfully, that as it goes forth, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will get inside my heart and your heart and do a work that only He can do through His power. But sometimes it goes on the the pathway, like we see in verse 15. Maybe it could have been a road he's talking about, perhaps alongside the path in some translations. Either way you look at it, whether it's a pathway or alongside the field on the pathway, that's typically not where you want to plant your harvest. People walk on it. It's matted down. There's not healthy, fertile soil for the seed to grow. Do you see this, church? If we are in a pathway situation today, if your heart, if my heart is hardened, just like the pathway or the wayside, how will the gospel really flourish in your life? You can do all the right things. You can wear the right clothes. You can say amen at the right time, but the reality is this, if the heart is hard, if the heart is rebellious, if it's stiff-necked, if it says, I don't want any of this, you will never truly come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It won't happen. It's scattered. It's spread. And what happens in verse 15? Well, the birds came along and devoured it. It became bird food. Which soil are you? Is your heart hard? Is it resistant? Is it calloused? Key number one says it like this in your notes. When I hear the word of God, is my heart hard and resistant to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? Answer that truthfully. Key number one, when I hear the Word of God, when the gospel is presented, is the reality that my heart is hard and resistant, defiant, rebellious to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? We would call these folks here in this first soil the along the wayside hearers, uh, along the path hearers, where again the The ground is hard. It's a contradiction in terms because the heart is unregenerate. You say, well, how does this happen? Well, I believe 2 Corinthians, Paul writes here, chapter 4, 1 through 4 of those four verses there, explains this so beautifully. Write that down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 4. Here's what the Word of God says about this subject matter. Paul writes to that church in Corinth that struggled so deeply He says, therefore, or in light of what was just said in chapter 3, 
having this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. Oh, I want to pause there for a moment. If you're in the midst of the battle and you are struggling and God has you for such a time as this and such a place to redeem the time for His praise, His glory, and you, you know, I want to lose heart. I just want to bend. I want to buckle. I want to break. Keep pressing on for His glory. Keep pressing on. Don't lose heart. It'll be worth it all on that day when we stand face to face with King Jesus. You will be hated, you'll be despised, you'll be slandered, you'll be lied about. When you stand for Jesus, people in your own family, your work, even church people, it happens. This is what we've signed up for. We press on though, don't we? We just press on for God's glory. We don't lose heart. What's he go on and say? Verse 2, but we have renounced, I love this, we have abandoned disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. We don't tamper with God's Word at all. We, we hold it in esteem. We say, this is God's Word. It's for His praise, for His glory, that we might write it on the tablet of our hearts, that we might drive it deep within the wellspring of our hearts as we get into it every day and we mine the Scriptures. It becomes part of who we are. Why? That we might not sin against Him. We renounce these ways. And then he goes on and says this, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, clouded, blinded, here it is, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, who's the God of this world? The enemy has blinded their minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you see that when these folks are hard-hearted and rebellious on this hard, firm soil, the force of evil and darkness in their life is intense. It's intense. There's a true war going on. That's soil number one. Are you that soil? I pray not. How about verses 16 and 17? As we look at 16 through 19, these next two soils are where I believe some good church-going people actually live. Verse 16 of Mark 4, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately without delay, they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, fall away. Now again, how did the farmers plant seeds back then? Well, they would scatter, and then they would plow, they would till. So think about this, you could look at a piece of land, you could scatter the seed, and only when you begin to till do you really realize what's underneath. And in this illustration here, on this rocky soil, there's rocks underneath 
And you see this so clearly that it's sown, it's scattered on this soil where there's not much depth. Perhaps there was limestone under there, as some scholars believe, in that day, in that area that he's speaking to. But there's a thin layer, just a thin layer of this good soil. And here comes this gospel seed. All looks good on the surface. All looks good. But the sun comes out and it scorches the seed and it withers away, the text says. There was no root system that sunk deep. See, here's what happens for these type of folks who are in this category. They receive the word, they receive the gospel call with joy. Immediately, by the way, without any delay, they receive it and go, man, I'm in, this is awesome, this is great. But what happens? Reality sets in. Because the Bible says this, for those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, there will be persecution. Paul tells that to Timothy. You go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you for my name's sake, he says. So what can we deduct from those two that are writing that if you're really in for Jesus, this is going to be some tough sledding from time to time. So what do you do? Do you pack up your bags and leave? No. You press on for God's glory. You press on. So many people quit, and they quit just way too early. And God's waiting, because there's something about being patient in the Lord and waiting on Him and saying, God, I want you to do a work only you can do in your time, because you're never early, you're never late, you're always right on time. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. And so you think through this thought. This says they have no root in themselves. Root. Well, roots have multiple functions, don't they? The roots can anchor the plant, they anchor the tree. And as those roots go deep, and picture again the gospel seed into the soil, that if there's not fertile, good soil for the roots to go down into, that person's life is not going to be anchored. If there's not that power, that dunamis that the Bible talks about, where the roots go deep, not only is the anchoring weak, but also roots are used for watering and they're used for nutrients. So just think about this. If the seed is the gospel and the soil is the hearer, if there's hard ground, how deep will the roots go? If there's rocky ground, how deep will the roots go? To receive, oh, I love this, the water. The fountain of living water himself, Jesus. How deep will the roots go on the hard soil or the rocky soil to receive the nutrients? Jesus, the bread of life. Do you see how important this is, church? 
See, all seems good. The outside, the external, says all the right things, does all the right things, but the heart has never truly been transformed. I believe there's many all across our country today, even in churches right at this moment, that are what we would call rocky ground hearers. It appears, appears to be God-honoring. It appears to be transforming, but it's all superficial. They endure, it says there in the Bible, they endure for a while, just a season. Then when tribulation hits, uh uh-oh, the heat's turned up. Persecution arises, where? On account of the Word is what it says. And I find this very interesting. They received the gospel, quote-unquote, immediately. And then when the screws get tightened, they immediately, without delay, head for the high hills. That's not a true conversion. That's utter foolishness and insanity. And how many people have I seen over the years that have done just that? Which soil are you? Which soil are you? Key number two is important. And it asks this question. Write it down. When I hear the Word of God, do the trials in my life ultimately expose that I've never truly given my life to Jesus? When I hear the Word of God, when the gospel is brought forth, do the trials in my life ultimately expose that I've never truly given my life to Jesus? Again, they hear the gospel and they give the impression it's real. Reminds me of uh, that sports fan, that fair weather sports fan. Maybe you're one of those. You're watching your ball team and they're not doing too well and you're just tired of it. You got the bad call brick. You've thrown up the TV so many times, it's all busted and worn out. And you're just like, I'm going to go to one of these games. You go to one of the games and you're there. And sure enough, they're getting absolutely rinsed. I mean, it is just an old fashioned beating. And they're getting just absolutely trashed. And what do you do? Fourth quarter goes around. You're like, I'm not staying for this. So you get in your car. You pull out of the parking lot. Now you're in a traffic jam for the next three hours outside the stadium. You turn on your radio, and sure enough, the greatest comeback in sports history happened as your team won. That's kind of where these folks are. They just bail. The going gets tough, and well, the tough get going somewhere else. There's something about a true conversion that you are sealed for the day of redemption, is what the Bible says, and you persevere, is what the Bible says. You press on. Which soil are you? You're either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. But if you're walking on the middle ground, Satan owns the middle ground. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, because there's so many things that go into this. This is not an intellectual issue. It's not an emotional response issue. This is a a love issue, a true love issue. 
that when you understand your rescue and you understand what Christ did for you as the Father gave His only Son, that it's a response to that love. It's a response that He took your place and did the one thing that you and I could never do, and that's free us from the enemy of self. And as He did that, as we, He was nailed to a cross, think about that, as He was nailed to a cross, as He was scourged and whipped and beaten, as He was tortured, as He was executed, as He was marred beyond recognition, there's no greater love. There's just no greater love than the gospel of Jesus Christ for who the Son sets free is free indeed. Never to walk in that darkness ever again when it's real. Well, Matthew 7 gives us a clear illustration here. 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Don't miss that. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, many, not a few, but many. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And we even cast out demons in your name. Wow, these are a wild bunch. And do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. He's not going to say, I don't know you, present tense. I never knew you. You did all these external things on this earthly life that were supposedly in my name, but you did not do the one thing you needed to do, and that's give your life to me. And he says, depart from me. Think about this. Are there any more worse words you could hear? Then King Jesus the judge on that day saying, get away from me. Get out of my presence. And that's the reality though. That's the reality of the gospel. It's been so watered down and sanitized and we develop these country clubs all over America. There must be an urgency, a desperation that when people die, one zeptosecond inside eternity, they are either with the Lord or apart from Him forever. Which soil are you? I mean, truthfully, which soil are you? Have you given your life to Christ? Like, does He own you? Does He own everything that you are and everything that you do? Does He own you? The second soil in this two-soil combination, which is really the third soil, is verse 18 and 19. Again, I believe there's many good church-going people all across our country today that are in this soil as well. Verse 18 of Mark 4, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, think about this. So others are sown among the thorns. The, the thorn, what's a thorn? Well, they hurt. 
but it's a weed that's bristly and prickly and it chokes. Think about this. If you have a healthy seed that's planted and then you have a weed, the roots of both go down into the soil and now there is a divided allegiance over the nutrients, over the water. It's competing. There's a competition going on here. A war underneath the surface is going on. Well, what happens? Well, three things in the Bible right there, 18 and 19. Look at your Bible that create these divided allegiances. Number one, the cares of the world. The cares of the world. The distractions of the world. To be torn between two things that are temporal, that's probably the best way to say it. There's a tug of war going on here. Well, I love Jesus, but man, I love the world. And there's just this tug of war going on. There's this grapple, this battle, this struggle, this wrestling match going on. The fleeting things of the world, here today, gone tomorrow. All this stuff that we put so much stock in, we fill our garages with a bunch of junk. Can't even close the door some days, and supposedly it dulls our pain and fills our void. And there Jesus is. I'm over here. I'm the fountain of living waters. I'm the bread of life. I'll give you what you're searching for today. But it's so easy to be deceived. That's why number two is the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the seduction of riches. Boy, if I only had more money, how many times have all of us said that, right? If I just had more money, boy, I'd finally be content. No, you won't. You won't. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus will make us content and satisfied because He really is the true treasure. Thirdly, what else invades and creates divided allegiances? The desires of other things. But Mark really buttoned this one up, didn't he? Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, okay, desires for other things. Everything is filled in here because when we pursue anything other than Christ as our true hope, our identity and security, that's idolatry. Anything other than Jesus through His blood, His righteousness creates an idolatrous path that we get on. And what happens? Well, right there, you see the desires for other things. It's this craving, this longing for that you think about it, and the more you think about it, the more you want it, don't you? I got to have that, got to move here, got to drive this, got to have this bank account, and got to go on this vacation, and fill in the blank. I mean, it's fill in the blank. And it just, it allures, it intoxicates, it draws as we're trying to dull the pain and fill the void. And Jesus continues to stand there saying, I'm right here. It's right in front of you. You, what you need in your life is right here, and I'm the source. I'm your strength. That when you are weak, you're actually strong as you submit to me and give your life to me. And what happens? Well, it enters in. These things enter in, these affections, these longings for other things. They live and migrate into the bloodstream, so to speak. They set up shop. They enter in. And so often when we trace back the cause, it's because we let down the guardrails around our heart. We get sloppy. We get careless. 
uh, I don't need to be among the fellowship of believers, and one week turns into two, and you know, two's four, and four is three months, and it's just so easy. It's a slow fade to begin to slide, isn't it? And as we do that, though, we see it enters in, and the enemy doesn't just, you know, pull up to the, the door of your heart and ring the doorbell and say, ding dong, I'm here. Oh no, he's much more cunning, much more deceitful, much more underhanded, as Paul talked about. And he's looking for every chink in the armor to get in. Where is my weakness and where is your weakness? And he exploits that and gets in. That's why we've got to armor up with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Boy, we go on the offensive to the enemy. We hit him with the Word. When he spreads his lies and deceptions in your mind and my mind, we just hit him with the Word. We say we're going to submit to God. We're going to resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Oh, we cling to the old rugged cross and the empty tomb. And yet in this soil, what happens? The word gets choked. Literally suffocated is what that means in the original. The word gets suffocated. Just picture someone who's being suffocated. It's horrible. It's despicable to even think about it. But that's what happens to the Word. It's being snuffed out. It's being suffocated. It's being strangled. It's being choked. And what ultimately happens from the Word here, it proves, it reveals the truth of the fact that there's no real salvation because there's no real fruit. Hard-hearted. Rocky ground, thorn-infested, yielding no fruit, destitute of good fruit. There's no real proof, especially when the heat gets turned up. Because when the heat gets turned up for the true Christian, we don't lose heart. We may be tempted to lose heart. We may be tempted to be discouraged, but we're remembering the Lord. We're missile locked on Him no matter what we're going through. We're saying, God, I got on spiritual blinders here. I know you've brought this into my life for a reason, to give you glory, that I might be coachable and teachable and humble to learn and to grow. I'm not going to allow any of the distractions going on around me to take me away from you. I'm just focused on you and you alone and watch your life begin to flourish with joy even in the midst of the struggle. So key number three, question, key number three. When I hear the Word of God, do the distractions in my life ultimately expose that I've never truly given my life to Jesus? Think about that. These are thorn-infested ground hearers. These people are not saved, rescued. They hear the Word of God, they hear it, and they say, look, you know, here's the deal, we're in, we're in, we're in. But the reality, the reality is that the allures of life, the cares of life, just think about that. The reality is they begin to choke and suffocate that person in such a way. I want us to think through this thought that we do what we really want to do. And James 1.22, a great verse, James 1.22 says it like this. James 1.22 says it like this, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving who? Deceiving yourselves. Now, let me pause here for a moment because we saw from the earlier context there when we looked at that great verse 
that we saw there, that there's this desire for things, there's this desire for riches that you flip all the way back and you see so clearly there through God's Word and Matthew that you see that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Is Jesus, is He saying, look, wait a minute, you've got to earn this? Well, of course not. It's by grace we've been saved, not by anything that we do, But as Ephesians 2 says, we've been saved for good works. In other words, this, it is an outflow of the heart that truly understands the relationship, the love relationship between that person and the Father. Obedience is not the real issue. It's a byproduct of the real disease, which is not a true love for the Father. When Jesus says there in Luke, He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I want you to do? There's a broken obedience in that realm, and the reality is there's a broken love for the king. When you process this and think through this and go back all over these scriptures, it is so glorious that back in James, which we just studied, James says, but be doers, be obeyers, just not sayers, and not hearers only, because I'm the one who gets deceived. When you and I walk in disobedience and rebellion and stiff-necked hard-heartedness towards the Lord, what happens is the only person that's being deceived is me and you. So the question is, which soil are we? Everything is an outflow of true love for God. When we really love Him, we will hallow His name. When we really love Him, we will fear Him with reverence. We will joyfully submit to Him with excitement. We will be eager and look forward to every day going, God, thank You for loving me. Thank You for setting me free. Thank You for redeeming me. I get to live this day for Your glory. I get to crucify myself. I get to say, enemy of self, be gone. I get to say, hey, God, how do You want to use me today to advance Your gospel? That's what happens when you're in a true love relationship vertically with the Father. Well, last but certainly not least, here it is, verse 20. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who what? Who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So we have a recap here. We have those that are hard-hearted on the pathway or beside the path. We have rocky ground, looks good on the surface, gets tilled up, and there's a bunch of rocks under there, and it can't grow. We have the thorny ground hearers, and the thorny ground are like, wait a minute, I don't know, the cares of the world look really good. Oh, the riches, oh, these are amazing. Oops, they're deceitful. Wait a minute, all the other distractions in my life, they're everywhere. Eh, I want all that more than you, Jesus. No, finally, we have where we need to be and must be. And that's the good soil. What do you see there in verse 20 in your Bible? What do you see about this being sown on good soil? Well, it's fertile. It's ready to receive, longing to hear the Word. And that's what it says right there. There are three things. They hear the Word of God, number one. There's a love for the Word. Do you have a love for the Word of God? But do you love the Word? Well, I can't wait to get in the Word and open the pages and mind the Scriptures. You have a love for the Word. Number two, right there in the Bible, it says, they accept the Word. Literally, to accept, to receive it, not to reject it, to delight in it. Number three, 
What is it? I love this. They bear fruit. See, there's a humility in that person's life of the good soil. The roots go deep into the soil. They're anchored. They're so deep, they're getting the water. They're getting the nutrients. They're being fed. They're being renewed day by day. Even though these afflictions, they're light, they're momentary in comparison to eternity. Therefore, we're being renewed day by day. Paul said there that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the difficulty, how can we be sorrowful and always rejoicing? He says this, in, 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 in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. Not apart from these things, actually in them, we're more than conquerors. We have hyper victory. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe it is a financial challenge, a health issue, a relationship crisis. In the midst of all of this for the true believer in the good soil, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, your Lord. That should give us hope. There should be a hope in the Christian. And we should be proclaiming the good news. Everywhere you go, you should be proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're stony ground... If you're thorn infested, it'll look good on Sunday and Wednesday, but the truth will be revealed. And it's so important that we remind ourselves of this urgency. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, I've been told that 10 to 1 was really good, 30-fold, 60-fold. A hundredfold. You see what Jesus is saying? That this good gospel seed will produce something in you that's so amazing. For God's praise, for his glory. Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. Be discerning. Be discerning what you say. Be discerning what you think. Be discerning who you hang around with. Because not everyone you hang around with is good soil. They may claim to be, but there's a lot of people who claim it, but are really rocky, thorny, and hard-hearted. Key number four, last key. Write it down. When I hear the Word of God, is the soil of my heart tender and humble towards the Holy Spirit? joyfully accepting the Word, and then bearing God-honoring fruit. Key number four, when I hear the Word of God, is the soil of my heart tender and humble towards the Holy Spirit, joyfully accepting the Word, and then bearing God-honoring fruit? For men, I know this is a struggle, they hear the word tender, and somehow in our culture we have gotten to this trap of insanity that a man can't be tender, well, that's a lie from the pit of hell because the Bible commands us to do this. The Bible commands us to be humble. It's important, men, me, you, that we lead in this. We model this as you pastor your home. You're the pastor of your home. You and I need to model this for our children, for our grandchildren. And by the way, did you notice this other thought I 
looked at when studying this, that how many soils are there? Not a trick question. Four. How many of those are good out of the four? One. For you mathematicians, do the percentage on that, right? Is this a hard, fast rule on how many people are saved and how many people are not? I don't know what God's plan is on this, but I do know this, that it reminds me deeply of Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, when it says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, superficial, and it leads where to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. 14, for the gate is narrow, narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. we got four soils. One is good soil. Three of those, 75%, are not good soil. And right there in Matthew chapter 7, preceding this, we see here that there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. And on the narrow path, what happens? It's hard. It's difficult. You want to quit many days, but you keep pressing on. You just keep looking unto Jesus for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Oh, you just keep pressing on. And only few are going to find that path that are real, that are true, that are going to be able to, on Resurrection Sunday, truthfully celebrate their rescue. But there's another path. There's another path. This path is wide. It's easy. The enemy doesn't bother people who are already working for him. It's easy. And many, many will go in by it. Droves of people are going to a hell where God is nowhere to be found. Which path are you on? Which soil are you? I've learned there's not too many traffic jams on the narrow path. There's a lot of room on the narrow path. There's a lot of traffic jams on the wide path. The Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being rescued... It is the power of God. Which path are you on? Well, I think about the takeaway question. And as I think about that, when when you examine which gates you've entered into, it will be a direct reflection of which soil you're on and which soil you are takeaway question. Do I have a God-centered desire to hear, submit to, obey, and be transformed by the Word? Ask yourself that question as I ask myself. Do I have a God-centered desire to hear, submit to, obey, and be transformed by the Word? You could really go back and ask it like this, who or what do you love most? It's all an outflow of that love. Whatever I really, really love is what I'm devoted to. Whatever I really, really love is what I'm enslaved to, I'm surrendered to. Which soil are you? 
You know, Ezekiel chapter 36 gives these great verses, 26 through 27, and it says this, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, God says, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see that? It's all about love. It's all about God's love towards you and towards me. How are you responding to His love? Is this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, just going to be another Sunday where you dress up, have a few eggs, chocolate, bunnies flying around, and go home and have ham? Is that what's going to happen? Or is this Resurrection Sunday going to be the Resurrection Sunday in your life where you begin to celebrate your rescue like never before? I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, I could have no remission of my sins, but He has set me free. Oh, we must celebrate. He is risen, and He is risen indeed. Pray that will be my heart and yours. Because the action step is, I will strive to love God with all that I am, and daily die to self. I will strive to love God with all that I am, and daily die to self. How do you do that? In your own strength? Of course not. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.31. 1 Corinthians 15.31, he said, I protest, I affirm, brothers, by my pride, my boasting in you, which I have in Christ, Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. Every day He's crucifying His flesh. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, 2 through 3, what a great final concluding verse for today. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3. Here's the power of the Lord and what He will do in our lives. And you shall remember, you shall bring to mind, you shall meditate on, you shall focus on that the Lord your God, He led you. He led you. You didn't lead Him. He led you is what it says here. He led you where? All the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Here's the why. To humble you. To humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, yummy, yummy, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. What happened to thus saith the Lord? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of my God stands forever. Paul said this, that I might be chained, but the word of God is not chained. It gets unleashed, and it gets unleashed with power. Oh, you may be a soil today that's hard-hearted. Maybe you're rocky ground. I don't know, maybe you're thorn-infested, but I believe this today by the power of Jesus Christ, that when you give your life to Him today, He can make all things new. So which soil are you? Which soil are you? It reminds me of some missionaries years ago. They boarded a ship and they were going to a faraway land. 
And when the captain found out where they were sailing to, he, he pleaded with them. He pleaded with them. He said, no, 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 you can't go do this. If you go there, you will die. If you go there, you're not coming back. If you go there, you're buying a one-way ticket. You can't do this. You can't go there. To which the missionaries replied, that's okay. We've already died. Have you died? I mean, have you died? Which soil are you? Which path are you really on? Father, we come before you today. And Father, we know that the called biblical discipleship is, is not an easy one. It's a call to radically push against the flourishing disease. And that flourishing disease is that I'm content to just be a churchgoer. God, I pray. I pray for every heart in this room today. I pray there will be a dying to self right now. A total surrender. A being all in. Oh God, do the work that only You can do. For some of us, God, I pray we no longer surrender some. But I pray today we surrender all. God, we love You. We give this time to You. Speak to our hearts. Don't allow us to leave here today in defiance or rebellion against You. But God, I pray that You would do something right now. Holy Spirit, move in power like only You can do. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during this day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.